Thanks for tuning into the Foundry Church Podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. This week, Pastor Andrew reminds us that we are commissioned by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit to grow the citizenship of God's kingdom. Each person has something to bring to the table, so go out to the square that more may come to the altar. God bless. All right. Hey, listen, it's, you know, we're in a series called Taking Enemy Ground. And uh, yes, today we're going to talk about tactics, but it's funny that the song that we sing right before I get up here is I Surrender All. Right? That's kind of a, a funny song to sing right before you talk about taking enemy ground, this battle imagery, this, this taking ground and winning and, and victory. We're singing about I surrender all. It's almost like the worship team, they knew that that's how we have victory, right? It's, it's by the power of our Lord. It's by the power of the God that we forge our life on. It's, it's his victory because of what he's done for each and every one of us. And he's called us to be a part of that. He's, he's called us to have a purpose, to be his hands and to be his feet. And like we said last week, uh, this mission, right, to, to guide people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. That's how we say the Great Commission here at the Foundry to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey uh, these commandments. So we, we're going to do whatever it takes to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, and that's surrendering, surrendering to God's power, the ultimate power. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the great I am. Right? It's, just, it's, it's an amazing song that we get to sing as we enter into the battle because victory's at hand when we surrender all to him. Victory's already there. Right? The, the flags of victory are already flying because of who he is. Now, Foundry Church, right? Uh, we're one week in. We're one week in into a new year, and I'm excited for this year. I, I'm excited for this church. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for, for our members. I'm excited for the members that we don't even have yet. They don't even know. They're just driving by. They're headed up to, to McDonald's right now or something, right? I'm excited because we're going to do, like I said, whatever it takes to forge ahead for the sake of that one more soul, for the sake of that person that you're thinking about or maybe have even already written down on your lock and you're getting ready. Right, to go out and to take enemy ground and share the gospel. Right, not just, not just uh, do church, but to be the church. Right, and, and, and that word church, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a German word. Right, it's a German word. It's where we, uh, uh, they take it from the, the, the original word ecclesia. Right, and, and church was a, a basilica or a, a building, right? So it's a, it's a bad translation of the word ecclesia. Because ecclesia, in, in the original language of our scripture, means a movement of people, a group of people who are on the move, right? A, a, for a specific purpose or a specific task, right? And that's what we are. We're, we're a group of people who, 
who are on the move for a specific purpose, for a specific task. We're the ecclesia, right? We have a mission. We have a purpose. Now, I hope you have your lock and you're praying over it. You're putting that name on it. Maybe you've, like I said last week, you've, you've prayed for years and years for that prodigal, all right? Whether a, a child or a, uh, a friend or just someone, right? And you kind of just, you know, it gave up on that. Well, it's time to restir that and give it to God. Surrender it to God because victory is at hand. Right? That person who's far from God, who you're going to share the grace and the truth of God with. Just tell them what Jesus has done for you. That's how simple it is. We overcomplicate it sometimes, right? Now, to help us prepare uh, to do just that, uh, we're going to be in the first uh, couple chapters of the book of Acts. And, and don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you today because I don't want to make any of you more sleepy than you already are. So for your homework today, I would like for you to read the first full uh, two chapters of the book of Acts and uh, uh, get this full picture of the early church. Now, it is an amazing story, Foundry Church. Right? The, the, the book of Acts is an amazing story. It's, it's our story. It's, it's about us, right? What we are about to read today and look at and what you're going to read in full later today the first two chapters of Acts is all about us, who we are, and who we were created to be, guys. <laughs> By the God that we forge our life on. It's about how, how he gives us power, how we, we fight in this battle, how we take ground. It's our strategy, our game plan, it's our battle plan, if you will. Right? These two chapters are just the beginning of it, but it gives us uh, the battle plan for our mission to do whatever it takes to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, right? To, to, to guide people to forge that lifelong reliance on God. So let's, let's peel this onion this morning. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 1 and 2. And as you turn there, here's a fun fact for all you trivia folks out there. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts were actually written originally by Luke, a doctor, as two volumes of one book, right? Or really, it, it's two volumes of one letter, right? It's like how the, the Game of Thrones is actually broke uh, book one in a series of songs and of ice and fire, right? So the Gospel of Luke is just one book in Luke's duology, right? And then we pick up in, in Acts chapter two, right? Or Acts chapter one as the second book, right? So, so you would have the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his ministry, right, his, his death on the cross, and then his resurrection from the grave, that's, that's part one, right, and then we, like I said, pick up in Acts chapter one, and that's part two, book two, with Jesus, who's walking around, he came out of the grave, he's alive again, and he's saying his last words on earth to his disciples, so let's look at what he says in Acts chapter one, verses three through nine. He says, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. From John, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had 
come together. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And verse 9 says, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Right, so Jesus, right, God in the flesh, he was, he was dead like three days in the grave, right, just roasting in there. Right, all hope was lost, dead, and then he comes back to life. And if that isn't miracle enough, Foundry Church, he stays. He stays on earth for 40 days. Now, I would have I been, as Usher says, peace up, uh, a town down, and I would have been out of there, right? I would have been gone. But he stayed, and he was walking around on earth for 40 days, 40 days of showing people the holes in his hands, 40 days of showing people the holes that were in his feet, 40 days of showing people the, the spear hole in his side, right? This, the, the message of what he's done, the the gospel message, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, it's spreading, right? It's spreading. People people were getting excited. They were like that monkey in Lion King when he finds out that Simba is still alive and he slowly looks up to the sky and he yells this, right? He says, it's time, right? (laughs) It's time, right? That's what's happening right now, right? Mufasa's doing his thing, right? The disciples were like, all right, we definitely... We definitely got the winning guy on our team. Right? That's what he's doing right now. Now it's time to stomp out the enemy. Right? Now it's the time to take down the Romans. We thought we were defeated, but Jesus came out of the grave. And he's walking around. He's doing miracles. It's time. That's what the disciples are thinking. Now it's the time to bring out the big guns and to burn this place to the ground. Right? It's time. Right? And what does Jesus say? What did we just read in verse 4? He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Wait? (laughs) Wait? I mean, really, wait, right? I I can picture it. Peter is ready to go, guns blazing, Rambo style, right? He's putting knives in his pockets. He's he's painting his face with war paint. He's putting on one of those sweat bandanas with the, it looks like a ponytail, right? He's ready to go to war, and Jesus looks him face to face, and he says, wait. Wait. I mean, can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine the frustration of Peter right, and all the disciples? Can you imagine the anger? I'm sure we can, we can, right? When we're praying, God, heal this, heal this. And we're just waiting. God, bring this person on my lot to know your grace and your love. Right? And we're just waiting. God, deliver me from this. From these chains that are holding me down and we're just waiting. Right? There's frustration. There's anger. We feel it. We know it. Right? But, but here is where I think this battle plan that he gives us begins. Right? So, so I don't want us to miss this because we already read it. Right? So Rambo, I mean Peter, and all the disciples, they're, they're ready to run ahead 
first into battle, and Jesus tells them to wait for the promise of the Father to be fulfilled, right? right? The promise that Jesus gave in the book of John, right? So jump down to verse 8 where he reminds them what that promise is, right? We read it, and it says, you will receive power, right? And that word, that word is dynam- dynamos. It's where we get the word dynamite from, right? So it's like you will receive TNT, dynamite power, right? Mr. T saying this. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? I think this is an important lesson for all of us just to sit in for a second. Right? Because we can miss it. Right? Before we jump into any battle, no matter how noble the mission, right? And remember, we have our mission. Jesus gave it to us. Right? It's an important mission, the most important mission that we can ever have. It's our God-created purpose for our lives, right? It is to make disciples and to do that by forging ahead no matter the cost for the sake of one's soul, right? That's a noble mission, the greatest mission of all time. But Jesus says no matter how noble the mission, no, no matter the importance of the fight, he says this, he says, do not take one step into battle without waiting on the power of the Holy Spirit. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Right? In our foundry church, a, a lot of times we just bolt. Right? And we, we just go. I, I, it's kind of my, my bias. Right? My bias is towards action, usually. Right? And, and put up our, our fists. We just go. And, and we get halfway into the fight and we think, whoa, wait a minute. Right? Uh, how did I get here? <laughs> what do I do now? Right? I, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. It kind of reminds me of the first time I went mountain biking with guys who actually did it professionally. (laughs) Right? Right? (laughs) The first part was pretty hard, right? All uphill. You get to the top of the hill, I'm thinking, all right, now it's got to be easy, right? That was the hard part, right? And it was hard, right? But we get to the top of the hill. No, the scary hard part is going downhill, trying to follow my friends so they don't leave me in the dust, right? And I'm halfway down the mountain, and I'm thinking, how in the world? Like, how, why did I sign up for this, right? That's just sometimes what we do. Right? I'm not cut out for this. I'm halfway down the mountain, and I've already got, like, cuts and bruises, and I'm, like, I can't breathe. And that's when we start to blame God and say, God, I'm fighting this fight for you. Where are you? Because it just feels like I'm screeching down a mountain, right? And I look to my side, and there's just a cliff. I look over here, there's a tree with my face imprint on it, and I don't know what to do, right? And we think, I'm losing ground. How could, we, how could you leave me in this battle? How can you be gone? How could you, you make me suffer through this? And all along, God is back over here saying, I told you just to wait on me. Right? I told you to wait for my spirit. I told you to wait for what I promised. You know, I, uh, uh, my dad, he, uh, he uh, restored a, I forget the year. Um, I should have asked Michael. He's probably watching my brother. Uh, he res- with my brother, he restored a uh, farm all Cubs practice. I think it was like in the 40s. You, you don't know. She don't know. All right. Old tractor. Maybe, I want to say 53. Mike, call me later. All right. He restored this tractor, and uh, 
he, you know, meticulously, uh, you know, did everything down to, down to original detail. And it was like his little baby. And, and I remember he's letting me drive it. And I was like 10. And he's with me. He's kind of walking along the side. He's showing me the different levers and the, the clutch. And we're doing, doing this. And, and, and uh, one of his friends comes into the, into the driveway, into the yard. And my dad's like, hey, you just kind of make circles right here, right, while I go talk to, 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 I don't know who it was, to my friend, right? Well, I'm thinking, I'm an expert now, <laughs> right? I've been driving this tractor by myself for a whole five minutes. And so as he's talking, I take the tractor, and I go over to the other side of, of the property. And where we lived, it was in the middle, uh, it was a parsonage, a, a church-owned house, but the church sat like in a park almost. Um, I think the road was even park road. I sat in a park, and so it was big property, right? We had, like, different playgrounds and, and stuff for the kids everywhere, big property. And my dad's sitting there in the driveway talking to his friend, and I take off for the church with the tractor, right? I'm just putzing around, and I thought it would be cool to get one side of the tractor up on the sidewalk and the other side onto the parking lot. Well, which I didn't know is when, you, when I did that, there was this big rut, and it turned the tractor. I don't know how it did. It was like the hand of God. Right? It picked the tractor up and it turned it and it went straight for this, this stone wall of the auditorium of the church, like the outside. And I hit that wall right, with that tractor. Now, luckily, the wall didn't break. Right? God had better time. But that, the tires of that tractor just kept spinning and spinning and spinning. And by the time my dad noticed what was happening, I had that tractor buried to its axle. Right? And so I'm sitting there, and he yells at me. He doesn't really yell. He pulls me off, stops the tractor, and he says, I told you to wait. Right? I told you to wait. You see, sometimes waiting is important, especially on our Father, right, when he tells us to wait, whether it's our Heavenly Father or our Earthly Father, right? God doesn't tell us these things to exert control over us, right? My dad didn't tell me just to wait and go in circles to exert control over me. He didn't want me to, like, tear down the church. Right? He tells us these things, our Father, our Heavenly Father, these things because his power and his timing are integral to the battle plan. Right? So, so you see, if we read on in this book of Acts, we'll get to the first part of chapter 2 where it says this. Right? Go ahead and look there, chapter 2 in your Bibles. And as always, remember, if you don't have a Bible, use those Bibles in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They're free for you. All right, we're not going to put it up on the screen because we want you to turn there and look at it in your own Bible. All right, so Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. When, and the, what? I'm sorry. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Go ahead and put your, your finger there. So if you've been around church for a while, you've heard the term Pentecost. All right, but those of us who are new here, uh, let me explain it like this. Pentecost is actually a Jewish holiday. It, it was celebrated 50 days after Passover. Right? It was also known as the Festival of Weeks. Right? They got like wheat bagels. They did their thing. It was a Jewish feast to celebrate the first fruits. Right? Their, their tithes, if you will. Right? Their first fruits of the harvest of wheat. Now, this, this festival would have brought Jews. It's very important. It would have brought Jews from all over uh, the city of Jerusalem and really all over the known world to the city of Jerusalem. People 
would plan years just to go and experience this festival one time in their lifetime in the city of Jerusalem. They would travel for weeks to get there, right? Right, people from the north, from the south, from the east and the west would all be gathering in the city of Jerusalem to celebrate this, uh, this Pentecost, this, this festival of wheat. And with all these people around, God says, now. Right? He, he says, now. Now is the time. This is the day. And let's see what happens. Let me reread verse 1. This time we're going to go through verse 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in that one place. And then right, they're waiting, right? They're mad and they're waiting. And then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And it divided, right? And divided tongues as fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right, and then, and then verse 5, real quick, says, Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews devote, devote many, d- devout men from every nation under heaven. So in that moment, right, the promise of the Father is now made a reality for the disciples. And from heaven came the gift, and what was the gift? It was God and the Holy Spirit. Right? It was the power of God in his uh, followers. And in that moment, in that instant, everything changed. Right? Their battle plan was beginning to be revealed. The same battle plan that we have today. Right? Like I said, it's our story. Right? Because in that instant, right, they all went out into the city, out into the square, if you will. And they started speaking in languages that they did not know. Right? And hearing uh, languages make sense in that they did not know. And, and these followers of Jesus were from Galilee, but they went out into the streets, out into the square. And, and all those people who were there to celebrate this festival of Pentecost started hearing these people speak their own language. So these Galilean followers of Jesus were speaking in Greek. They were speaking in Latin and Coptic and Germanic uh, languages, Arabic, Aramaic, and whatever else needed to be spoken in that moment, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they marched out into the square and proclaimed the story of Jesus. Right? And you read, the, you read the first two chapters there, and it's kind of funny because everyone thought they were drunk. <laughs> but, but they proclaimed the gospel, they proclaimed the good news, and they did work. That's what they did, right? Our, our, battle, our, our battle plan begins with the power of the Holy Spirit sending us and empowering us to do this. To go out into the square. Right? You've heard me talk about going out to the square. You might see it on the wall, out in the lobby. As a part of our strategy. Right? But that's where it starts. It goes out into the square. The battle plan begins in the square. Right? We don't want to miss that. Right? The first place, the power of the Holy Spirit sent to the disciples was not a church. Right? A a building. It was not a a small group. It was not even a, a prayer closet. The first place the power of the Holy Spirit sent the disciples was into the square. All right, guys, too much, too often the church is thought of as an isolated entity, a, a holy huddle, all right, the, the frozen chosen, as I like to call it. But God sent his spirit, and as soon as they had his power in them, 
they ran out onto the battlefield to take as much enemy ground as they possibly could, right? The the church was never intended to be uh, a retreat for the redeemed. It's just not. It was intended to be a movement of soldiers walking boldly into enemy territory with the power of the Holy Spirit and taking enemy ground. That's an ecclesia, right? That's what what it originally means. A group called out for a specific purpose. That's what we are. And I don't know if you know much about war, but when there is a war going on, everyone knows it, right? It's not a quiet thing. And so as we go out to the square, right, as a part of our strategy, we must live in such a way that the world knows we exist, right? You can't confuse that with being weird, right? Sometimes that's people's opinion of the church, right? right? We don't got to be weird. They just got to know what we stand for. What Jesus has done for us, right? You're in the gutter? Man, I was in the gutter, and sometimes I still find myself in the gutter. But Jesus pulled me out of the gutter, and he continues to pull me out of the gutter. Let me tell you how he did that for me and what he can do for you. So as we go out to the square, we must live in such a way that the world knows we exist. Right? That is more than just good signs or or good social media campaigns, or fun events, things we all do here, right? Fun things, good things, we do them well. But it requires us, right, those fighting the battle to love our neighbors, to take care of the widows and the orphans, to do the hard things, to give our brother not just the shirt off our backs, but the coat too. And don't miss this, right? It requires us to tell the story of Jesus, right? Right, telling how he has come to give us life and give it to the full. Guys, it is more, guys, it's one thing to ladle soup into a bowl or to rake someone's leaves, but it's quite another to take the time to look into someone's eyes and listen to them and share the good news with them. That takes courage. That that takes real compassion. That takes the power of the Holy Spirit that is alive within us. The square can be an overwhelming place, but it must be where we begin the square, right? And then the story goes on, right? Peter, Peter takes the mic and he rocks it like a vandal. Peter, Peter, he, Christina's the only one who got that. Uh, Vanilla ice, anybody, right? Right, Peter, my man, right, who from day one has had these broad shoulders, right? Peter is like, like this, like, jump ahead, action first kind of guy. He has these broad shoulders and he struts around. He's saying, hey, I'm going to be with you to the very end, Jesus. Nothing is going to separate me from you. I'm your boy. You can count on me. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tries to cut the head off of one of the soldiers that come to arrest Jesus. He misses completely, cuts his ear off, right? And then he goes on to deny Jesus three times. Jesus, I don't know that guy. I don't know him. I never followed him. Now, Jesus, of course, restores Peter. In just a, a miraculous way, right? right? It restores them completely. But Peter has had a hard time his whole life, this whole ministry of his, kind of backing up his claims, right? He, he's like my friend Tyler, right? He, he'll pick a fight, but as soon as you turn around, he's gone, right? <laughs> right? But now something different happened, right? He has a new supernatural power source that is within him. And Peter stands up in the midst of this amazing crowd, this huge crowd, where they are all hearing the story of Jesus. And remember, just 
just like 50 days earlier, they killed Jesus. And he's up there telling them about Jesus and how powerful he is and what he's done for them. Right? And Peter, he takes the mic and he, he starts the first ever Christian church service. And Peter, he preaches the gospel in unbelievable power and clarity. Right? I'm not going to read it all, but you can read it, right? And when you read those first few chapters, you're going to read his sermon. It's so good. Right? The, this guy, he's quoting the Old Testament. He's showing how, uh, them how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies. And he's showing them how Jesus was the real deal. He touches right at the heart of these people. Right? He even tells the Jewish people uh, that they killed Jesus because of their sinful ways. Right? But it was all part of God's plan, so they're okay. Right? They just got to accept him. And you thought I stepped on some toes every now and then, right? right? But Peter, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is bringing these people to their knees because of the story of Jesus. And he shows us in the process step two of our battle plan, right? With the power of the Holy Spirit, step two of our battle plan is this. It urges us to gather at the altar, right? It urges us to gather at the altar. Peter stands before these people and he shows them what worshiping God looks like. Worshiping God is proclaiming as Lord Jesus and proclaiming him to be our Lord and telling of, of his work and of his salvation, of his grace and of his truth, right? It's doing that through, through, through the ministry of the word, which is preaching and teaching. It's doing that through through songs and worship and adoration to him, right? His life and his death, his resurrection, in whatever way possible around his altar is being communicated. Guys, the, the altar is not a place where we come or where we can come on Sunday and just get some good coffee and sweet treats, right? The, the altar is not a place where, where the worship team just stands uh, up here and sings some pretty good songs so that we can feel good about ourselves and our week. Right? That's a those are all pieces of it, right? We got coffee. We got good food, right? As long as I'm your senior pastor, we're always going to have good food, right? We're going to sing songs, right? right? The altar is not a place uh, where, where I stand up here and I, and I preach for 20 minutes or, or longer, okay? I get it, <laughs> right? It's not a place where we just talk for 30 minutes, right? The altar is a place where, where we... Where the entire gathering of this local outpost works to lead everyone present to better see Jesus. It's where we're going to fill up our cup, right? Every aspect of our gathering, every prayer that we pray, everything that we do should be designed to help us draw near to Christ in power, in power, and in faith. Right? It's an upward orientation. Whereas going out to the square, that was an outward, right? like a compass orientation, this is an upward orientation. It's about God this first day of the week. He gets our first attention. Right? Every, every aspect of our gathering is in that orientation. Whatever, whatever is not helping us take one more step in a lifelong reliance on God should be cut. You know, each week, all of our volunteers, we gather together, and we talk about the day, and we, we, we pray. And one of the things that I say is that it is our job to remove barriers and open doors for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring us closer to God. That's our job. No matter if we're, if we're working back there in the booth, which they really need the power of the Holy Spirit, right? or if we're downstairs with the kids right now, holding babies, teaching lessons, or if we're, if we're up here singing or, or preaching, or if we're or if we're like our elders who are praying you know, for us all week long, right? 
Our, our job is to open the door for the Holy Spirit to bring us closer to him, to bring us closer to the God that we're forging our life on. It's not just saying that. It's not just something good to say. The altar is a place where we together, corporately, come together to tell the story of God and to worship him. Right? The focus of Peter's sermon that day was not about how far he had come. Right? Because he had come pretty far from a, a, a ratty old fisherman on the sea, right? right? Not a very successful fisherman. Right? To being there preaching, right? In Jerusalem uh, during one of these great feasts, right? It, it wasn't about how far he had come. It was not about how the Christians were going to take over the Romans how Christianity was going to spread like wildfire, even if there is persecution. It was about one thing and one thing only, right? His sermon was about Jesus, right? right? Our focus at the altar is, is one thing and one thing only, Jesus, right? And you know what happens when we come to the altar and we focus solely on Jesus, right? Look at verse 41 of, of, chapters, uh, of chapter 2, all right? All those people listening to Peter. So those who received his word were baptized, and 3,000 were added that day, right? And there were about 3,000 souls that were added that day. Wow. Right? Do you see what happens when we go into battle by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing us to the altar? The first church was created, this first local outpost, right? And that first church, it was a mega church. Right? You know, in our culture, you often hear mega church in a negative context, and I get why. But here's the thing the church is designed to grow. Right? The, the church is designed to take enemy ground. It's just the way it is. Right? The church is designed to go out to the square, proclaim the story of Jesus, and bring those back to the altar and worship Him to build up each other. And we're going to get there in just a second. The church is designed to explode. And we see it in one day, right? 3,000 people put their faith in Jesus, and instantly, right, an army goes from just a, a few dozen, right, to 3,000. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going into battle, if I'm going to take enemy ground, I would rather be in an army of 3,000 devoted, right, hard people who are forging their life on God. They're going to do whatever it takes for the sake of one more soul. I want those people standing shoulder to shoulder with me, not just 12. Right? That's what, that's what we want. Right? Don't miss this, right? Luke then takes a few verses to describe this church. He, he probably knew that people would freak out about 3,000 people. Right? Let's just be honest, right? Kirsten, if 3,000 people came up in here next Sunday, she'd be sending me, she'd be sending me texts like crazy. <laughs> you wouldn't know how many texts I would get from her. Andrew, where's the extra coffee? Right? But he, listen, he says, don't get nervous. Yes, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it's big and powerful enough to bring 3,000 people into the church. But each one of them plays an important part. Luke says, let me show you what these 3,000 people did, right? Let's look at verses 42 through 47 of chapter 2. I'm having trouble getting my, my uh, eyes on the little print here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Right, and then verse 43 says, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Right, and all who believed were together, and all had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, 
and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Right? And, and day by day, attending, uh, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Right? This, this newly formed church, I mean, literally, right? It was just formed. This literally just formed local outpost of God's kingdom, it did not say, okay, well, right, now that we believe we must isolate ourselves from the rest of the world, no, right? And, and further, they still did not say, right, my faith is private, right? I can do this on my own. This newly formed congregation, this newly formed outpost of God's kingdom, it made each believer a vital vein in the body of Christ, each of them carrying uh, what others need, right, to them, right, by the power of the Spirit, right, they, they, were, they were, were, were supporting one another in need and in prayer and, and just in, in comfort and in honor, right? Well, why, right? Well, you see, it is likely that most, if not all, of these new converts were being kicked out of their synagogue no matter how far they traveled, right? The, the hub of spiritual and social life in Jewish community, communities was the synagogue. And, and for becoming followers of Jesus, they lost all of that, right? They, they were paying a price, right? This, uh, this was already taking place during Jesus' lifetime, so it was definitely uh, happening in the months after Jesus' resurrection, right? When the religious leaders were, were doing their best to snuff out this, this new movement, right? And that... Uh, that because of that, it's likely that new Christians were being uh, disowned or, or disinherited by their families. And so they needed each other. This church needed each other. And this would have created immediate housing needs and, and resulted in many Christians suddenly finding themselves unemployed since so many businesses during this time were family-based and, and family-owned. And so this newfound church of 3,000 stepped up to the table. Right? And, and said, hey, I have some extra clothes my kids grew out of. I have an extra room in my house that you can stay in. I have an opening for a job in my store. I have an extra seat at my table. Right? And that is the final phase of our battle plan. Right? Right? With the, the power of the Holy Spirit, our battle plan ends with us like this. Right here, stepping up to the table with one another. Right? Like we said, uh, uh, going out to the square is kind of an outward focus. Outward orientation. Uh, gathering at the altar is an upward orientation. Right? Stepping up to the table, this is a, this is an inward orientation. Saying, I'm your boy. I got your back, because you got my back. Right? And the cool thing is, Jesus has got our back. Right? We're all in this together, right? So here's the thing. God promises to meet our every need, but many times, if not most often, he meets our needs through another believer. Right? He, he gifts each of us, not for, for self-expression or self-fulfillment, but to fill what is lacking in someone else's uh, life by meeting genuine needs. God has given each of us power that was not meant to end with us, but to extend to someone else. Right? But if we don't step uh, up to the table, that power ends up in storage. Right? Not in action. Right? The first church felt so secure in God's promises and his power uh, that they let go of all that they had to help one another. If that's the case called for it. Right? 
They, they would take all that they, they have and they would step up to the tab- table saying, what do you need? Right? <laughs> to the watching world, it was unexplainably uh, just selfless and foolishly generous. Right? But, but here's what they know and what we know. Right? The power of the Holy Spirit faced with the needs always looks like compassion and sacrifice. It sort of always looks like the cross. Doesn't it? Right, stepping up to the table is a way to help our, our fellow soldier fight. It is an inward orientation, like I said. It is a way to stand shoulder to shoulder with our brother and take enemy ground together, both of us, at our top performance ability, right? It is where we can fulfill the one another mission that, that the, the disciples dig into later on. Paul writes about in Romans and, and in his letters, all right? It's where we can fulfill these one another missions, these little missions that God has called us to throughout the New Testament. Like in, in Romans where it starts to say that we're called to love one another. Right? And, and also in Romans it also says that we have to outdo one another in showing honor. <laughs> what a world we live in if we're trying to outdo each other in showing honor to each other, even if we don't agree with each other. We've got to live in harmony with one another, to welcome one another as Christ welcomed you, to instruct one another, it says in Romans, to have the same care for one another, to bear each other's burdens with one another, right? To be kind to one another. In Ephesians, it says that, to forgive one another as Christ forgave you. Again, in Ephesians, to submit to one another, to stir up one another toward good works. Say, hey, you've been sitting too long on the bench. Get off of it. Let's do this. Let's equip each other, right, to confess your sins to one another, right, to encourage one another, to guide, and to forge your lifelong reliance on God. Now, I, we could go on, but we get the point, right? Stepping up to the table is not just a Bible study. That's part of it, right? It's not just a new friend. That's part of it, right? Friends, right? Stepping up to the table is not just those things. Stepping up to the table should look like uh, reading the Bible and praying together, doing life together. It should look like uh, working and having fun together. It should look like doing life together. All those things, it's clear. Our battle plan is threefold, right? Look, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will gather at the altar, we will step up to the table, and we will go out to the square. We're going to do whatever it takes to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. So we gather altar, right? We step up table, to equip one another, be there for one another, we go on to the square, right, just like Peter, Rambo style, right, you must have all three to take enemy ground, right, you cannot just focus on the altar because you will miss the fullness of what community in God's kingdom looks like and does, and there will be no help in putting it all together, right, if you just focus on one, right, if you just focus on the altar, you're not going to have people shoulder to shoulder with you, and you cannot just have the table, because if you did not uh, go out to the, the square, the, 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 right, to the, the community to bring people to the table, right, if you didn't go out there, you, you're not going to have anyone sitting at the table with you, right, right, and if you don't have the, if you just have the table, but you don't have the altar, you're not going to have any meat on the table, right, listen, we want a full and growing 
a table full of all the meats and the cheeses and the vegetables that God has to offer. Right? Last week, I, I, I had everyone take a, a lock, and there's some more out there, and there will always be some out there for you to write down a name of someone in your life, and that maybe might be you. And you said, I haven't forged my life on God. Fine. Yeah, you hear the gospel, you, you believe it. You confess Jesus to be your Lord and that you've forged your life on everything but him, right? That's repenting. And it says, repent and be baptized. And so then you're baptized, right? And you put that lock on, on the thing as yours, and then you grab another one for someone else, right? And we hang it on a wall, and we're going to have a, a fixer back here that we're working on. We're going to hang those locks because of the battle plan that we're using because of the mission that we've been talking about, right? The battle plan is how are we going to get this, this full of locks. This, this battle plan is how we're going to uh, get a table full of Christ followers together that aren't just going to uh, gather for the sake of gathering, but are going to gather to go out to the square, right? Because we're going to be focusing uh, at the altar and, and, and worshiping God and, and hearing his word and putting it in our lives and getting powered up, right? Don't miss out on what... Someone can bring to the table because you were too scared to step into the strategy. Too, too, too scared to step into the, the battle plan. And you're not alone. You have the power of the Holy Spirit and you have each other. Right? Don't miss out on taking enemy ground because you think that the battle plan is too hard. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is, guys. There's not a huge application. So as I invite the band to come up, this year, realize, right, when you go home and you read the first few chapters of Acts, and maybe the whole of Acts, that it takes us gathering at the altar. It takes all of us, right, stepping up to the table for one another. And it takes us going out to the square together to share the grace and the truth of who Jesus is. Let's stand and let's worship our God who empowers us to do just that.